Hey, this is Russell, and I work at the video store, the place that we can all go to once a week whenever it is movie night. Interesting people pop in to rent something, and we go through the films that they've loved across their life, and then when the store is quiet, I chat to my buddies about the films that we're watching on streaming platforms and out in cinemas. We're here to help you figure out what you can watch. All right, let's start the show. Let's open up the shop. How's it, guys? Good morning, Russell. How you, G-Force? Run yourself, dude. G-Force 5. Hey, Russell. And we got Gaddy. How you, Gad? I'm pretty good. You're pretty good? Pretty good. Pretty good. Can yeah. we talk about your tooth? Yes. Okay. <laughs> we'll get into it. Gad lost his tooth the other day. Oh, no. Um, today on the video store, a good friend of ours, Andrew Orkin, is going to pop in to rent something. He is a dude myself and Gad know. You did a song with him. We recorded something with him the at first one point. version of Mo Money. Uh, as Short Straw, we yeah. also went, uh, played a show with him. Um, we went to Bloemfontein. He filled in for Tom once. Yeah. Do you remember that? It was a very yeah, weird I, night. I, I, we, oh my goodness. Yeah, wanna, there was Andrew. Yeah. I want to talk to him about it. Um, but what Andrew has done with his life, he's a South African. He went to um, Vits with us. He studied music, but then... He went over to New York, he went to NYU, and he has started the most incredible career for himself as a composer Cool for movies, for cinema. And I really want to get into that with him. I'd love to hear the process of how someone wakes up every day and gets to do this with their life, yeah. how they go about it, what... You know, that classic internet thing, which is, <laughs> what, it, what does your mom think you do? What do you actually do? Yes. What do your friends think you do? I always find that interesting, especially when it comes to something that isn't as kind of nine to five or it isn't as as easy to kind of comprehend. Yeah. Um, but a lovely dude, and we'll get into it. Um, but yeah, welcome to the video store, everyone. For those who are unfamiliar, um, we've got ourselves a lovely day here. Andrew's going to pop in in a moment. But afterwards, please stick around where myself, Gad, and Graham are going to chat about what we're watching. There's a handful of stuff. The mm. Holdovers... It's now in cinemas. We're screening it at the Bioscope. Yes. Um, and it's a lovely, delightful, heartwarming film, which yeah. I want us to talk about. Um, there's Griselda, which is the Netflix um, bio biopic yeah. limited series, uh, which is on Netflix. There's a handful of things. There's mm. some, a whole bunch of new trailers, some exciting films coming out. So, yeah, we'll get into it. Um, but I want to ch <laughs> chat about the fact that Gad lost his tooth the other day. So I, I'd knocked it out at the end of last year. Uh, oh, so it was already loose. No, no. So this was like in October, November. I bit into a speckled egg and the tooth just came out. Oh, okay. my Lord. So that, for all of those who don't know, we're not working at the video store. We're not playing keyboard. Uh, for short straw, Gad makes candy. Yes. He owns a company called Gaddle's Candy Company. We stock them at the Bioscope. He's building himself a candy empire. So... Is it linked to the fact that you you taste and eat candy all the time, Gad? I mean, rock it candy, it, it was hard a rock candy. It was a competitor's candy that <laughs> <laughs> did it. Oh, no. My candy won't break your teeth. <laughs> so, but in all you it came out. It was on a Sunday morning, and I had an Adventure Man show on the Sunday. I'm like, no, no I'm canceling the show. I can't do it. I can't do it. 
This is like your front tooth, like your big my front big tooth. Front tooth. Yeah, oh, it was it. My, I actually broken it when I was like eight. My father opened the door. Okay, but so we this, can't. This, we can't. We can't hear the whole okay, history. Just of the tooth. Okay. Anyway, it came <laughs> came out, and I went on Monday. I got it sorted out, and I had this temporary for a while. Okay. And I noticed. Dial, dial back to last week Saturday when we are playing a show at at the Irish. I, and b- I, I bit into um, Pregorol, <laughs> and next thing I noticed, my tooth was not in my mouth. Oh my lord! Not outside. <laughs> yes, he swallowed it. But this is the thing: uh, I thought I swallowed uh, it. Oh, do you think maybe you didn't? Well, I mean, okay. I, I, I hate to admit it, but I, I okay. was looking for it afterwards. <laughs> And okay. I did not find it. All right. Okay, okay. we don't have to get into it. But shame, poor old Gaddy. Right. Like, is usually an upbeat, happy, enthusiastic <laughs> dude. He was so downbeat <laughs> and depressed because he's lost his tooth. Uh, and like, I had played with uh, my other band is Crystal Park, which is like a country band. So it would have mm-hmm. made sense to have that gig without the tooth. <laughs> yeah. So I was fully toothed for that show. My but um, we do these um, payouts fairly regularly for the band when we can divvy up some money and 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 every member of the band can can get a little yeah extra pocket money at the end of the month if we've played shows and I, when i paid this one out i was like let's call this one the new tooth dividend <laughs> <laughs> and look at this hey nah. you're looking great <laughs> so you can smile at customers here at the video store yeah. absolutely and you can smile at andrew as he comes in to visit um but then you guys are going to do some work hey there's always something to do around there's here there's always a- something admin. to do i love admin okay you're going to go do some admin <laughs> okay. alphabetize the action section oh there you okay, go okay you're going to go alphabetize the action section all right um all right let's do this okay this is andrew orkin popping in to rent something how's it man doing well dude nice to see you it's been a very long time i feel like it's been a long time but also not a long time like time has become a weird weird thing you're right yeah i've noticed that in my life um we no longer have those like long lazy days yeah they just don't exist anymore I mean, I feel like I have some long lazy days and then they just turn into long lazy months and then I'm like, oh, suddenly I'm 35 and, you know. How, it, how old are you now? 35. 35. Yeah. And okay. last time I was back here was in COVID, deep COVID. Um, came here with my now wife oh, and we had congrats. to get married very quickly because I was banned from going back to the States. Okay. So tell me this. You you work full time as a as a film composer that's right in new york city composer for the stars not really the stars but yeah no. <laughs> we're going to get into it we're going to talk about the job <laughs> okay but but okay but you're still a south african citizen that's right and so when you wanted to get married you needed to come back to get married here yeah so we were actually here on holiday okay and then uncle joe biden omicron was discovered here yes. and then uncle joe biden said all right south africans can't go back okay to america and i'd like Done, jumped through all of these loopholes. I got like a special visa that said like, oh, Andrew can come back to America even if they closed borders. And the immigration lawyer called me and was like, that's null and void. You're because kind of, you're South African. Because, you're because South African. this is a South African virus. This is a South African virus. You're kind of okay. screwed. You can't okay. go back. So we were sitting on the beach with my parents in the Eastern Cape. And I'd actually just proposed two days before. So the timing was kind of perfect. Yeah. And called Mike Wright. I don't know if you remember Mike, that drummer from Zebra and Giraffe. Yes, yes. Who's now a priest. Oh, yes. And I was like, hey, dude, what are you doing tomorrow? He was like, I'm kind of free. I was like, well, do you want to marry me and Chelsea? And we flew back to Joburg and it was like a huge run around. 
going to the US consulate, then going to a lawyer to like get a prenup to then go get passport photos. Mike came over to the house. Why, why was it a rush? Why did you we, make it a rush? We had a flight back to the States in two days. Okay. And we were moving house was the whole thing. So we had to like push it through. Also everything closed. But you weren't, December. but you're saying you weren't allowed back in the States. Unless I married an American person. Interesting. So if okay. I was just the exact same person yeah. married to an American, I was somehow not. You viral. were somehow able to get back in. Yeah. Okay, but on your own. No. Uh, okay. Did you did you propose to her, um, with with that plan in mind, or was no. it okay? Yeah. So it was like, you'd propose because you love her. Yeah. We'll get married sometime. And also want a green card. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and then so you you had this quick. Crazy quick, wedding. Quick marriage and turned it around in 24 hours. And then we got back on the plane with like a handwritten marriage certificate because we hadn't even gone to home affairs. It was like yeah. December, like everything's closed. Yeah. And we are cheekily, we're like, okay, well, we just got married. Let's try and get upgraded to first class. So we go to the Pull, the, pull the, the H card, baby. Pull the H card. Go up to the front desk. You're like, look, we just got married today. Like, can we get upgraded to first class? Like, no, we can't really. Anyway, so we re-entered the States. And it's usually like a big mission for me to re-enter. Like they ask me a thousand questions. Who do I work for? Yeah. What are my intentions? How big intentions? is your business? How, how big is my business? Yeah. How much money do I have in my bank account? Uh, yeah. What's my mother's maiden name? All sorts of stuff. And we just kind of walked in and I was like, that was too easy. Like something's amiss here. Yeah. So we walk in and we're waiting to connect. Uh, I think we're in Atlanta. We're waiting to connect to LA. They call me to the front desk. They're like, Andrew can come to the front desk. And I'm like, oh shit, we're getting upgraded. Like this worked. So I waltz up to the front and it's just two guys from Homeland Security with cuffs and they're like, Mr. Orkin, give us your passport. We're on the phone with Washington, D.C. We're, we're deciding whether we're going to deport you. Oh, shit. So they just like take my passport. They're just taking photographs of every page of my passport. So I text my one day wife and I'm like, come to the front desk, bring the marriage certificate. Where is she? Just in the back of the line? She's just, yeah, like waiting to, okay. waiting to board the plane. So she also thinks we're getting upgraded. So she like waltzes up to the front, all stoked, like, hey guys, how's it going? Just like put a hand in her face, like, ma'am, don't talk. And take all the photos of her passport, like 15 minutes later. Eventually they realized everything was okay and let us on the plane. But Oof. if I got deported, you, I'm banned for seven years. You do not fuck with those dudes. Yeah, no, serious. Jesus. Yeah. Okay. All right. So here you are back again. Th that was the last time. This time yeah. has been less tumultuous for sure. Okay. Yeah. So you get to wake up every day. Mm -hmm. Most days, yeah. Most days um, to to write the, and and perform the score mm -hmm. for movies. Yeah. Um, so let's just talk about that. What did we What did we study? Studied music at Wits. Yes, I remember um, you being there. Yeah. So I was at Wits doing combination of guitar and composition. I ended up like focusing on composition. And after I graduated from Wits, you know, I was kind of doing a little bit of everything. I was playing in bands. I was like doing orchestrations for like events. I was we, doing we, musical direction. We even was, got you to play one short straw show. Once, dude, I think, yeah. Which was the weirdest, dumbest show. In Bloemfontein. It was in Bloem. <laughs> and we, for some reason, one of the dudes, I guess it must've been Tom, couldn't have made that show. Yeah. And so we rehearsed with you. Yeah. And then when we eventually played the show, we were like, this was a bit of a waste of time. It was a weird show. Yeah. But it was fun to hang out with you. Yeah, dude, I remember waking up in a bed spooning, I think it was you and Al. Yeah, yeah. That sounds about right. Yeah, because The I, early days of touring, which <laughs> like everyone would speak about, you know, were, were, were such bad conditions and 
but you look back on it with such joy. Yeah, man. And like, I, you know, I, I sort of dabbled in that a little bit, but didn't do as yeah, much you, of you that did, as yeah, I wanted to. Yeah, you did some to. bandy stuff. Did some bandy stuff and then, you know, went to the States. So, oh yeah, once I finished studying, was kind of doing a little bit of everything here, teaching, doing orchestration stuff, playing in some pop bands, sideman gigs, that kind of thing. Ended up scoring a few films. Uh, my cousin works in the film industry and he kind of wrote me in to score a few things. And I realized like I just loved being in the studio and also yeah. working with directors is super fun. Yeah. Um, different different gig every day, different kind of material you're writing and like directors tend to be very smart people with like cool visions and you get to. Yeah. So I was like, let me, let me focus on that. So decided to try and go to the States um, and got a Fulbright scholarship to go over and study there, which okay. is... And, we, and where were you studying? Uh, NYU. That's awesome. Yeah, it's kind of the only way to get there and stay there unless you have a ton of money yeah, is to totally. like get a scholarship and go to school. Um, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. then you can get a visa and stay and And, and you're going to meet people and you're going to work. Yeah. You're going you're gonna to meet the directors and the, and, and the students yeah. alongside you and then you're going to go up together, right? And that was like the main reason Because I don't to know go. how else you could start. I don't yeah. know how else you could just arrive and go, hi, everyone. Hello, I do can this. I score your films for the free? The best is yeah. to start at that grassroots yeah. and varsity I'd, level. I'd say most of the people I work with, I can still kind of trace back to NYU at some yeah. sort of foundational stage. Because, um, you know, you would meet people who, you would score their student film, like a short film, and then five years later, they're making a Sundance feature. and Five years later, they're doing a studio movie. So, you kind of like follow that trajectory and I think like anyone in film who whether you're a DP or an editor or composer you're like riding the coattails of a director's trajectory totally um, no well they also are only there because of all the people that they've had in their team so yeah you know it, it does go hand in hand yeah we were actually talking about this yesterday so you know sort of two two kinds of directors in in that sort of regard of like some directors are like, well, I directed the people who made the thing. And some yeah. people are like, well, the people I brought on are the reason the thing is what it is. Yeah. And it's yeah. two different schools of thought. And I find working with different directors. One's a bit more humble. Yeah. <laughs> and a bit more loyal in that they yeah. like call you back and you work with them repeatedly because they realize you're a part of their vibe now. Yeah. Um, where sometimes it feels like you're just a hired gun. People bring you on and move on to someone else. Yeah. I, I, I must say, so when we were at Wits there was an NYU exchange program and mm -hmm. I gravitated to those students every yeah. year because they just fascinated me. There were people that were living and studying in, in what we can agree is the greatest city in mm -hmm. the world. Um, and they were giving up six months to come to Joburg. Yeah. So I was like, I want to meet you. I want to yeah. get to know you. And I loved hearing them talk about the way that they were approaching their film school mm -hmm. and just their mentality. Like, for example, the Vitz kid was like, uh, all we got is a set of redheads and this kind of camera. It sucks. We're going to make a sucky movie. Yeah. Where the NYU kid is like, I'm working three jobs yeah. to get an extra camera and an extra light. And, and you're like, oh, that's the difference. Yeah, like the one has just this bigger mold. And then they were also saying that like, they have professional actors that would line up around the corner to audition in their student film. Yeah. And that's, I think that kind of stewing in the beginning of your career where everyone is like, coming up together, whether it's actors and like, you know, the same thing can be said for actors, like student films I've scored. I now see these actors like in big things. Yeah. And everyone was just like kind of at the ground level fighting together to like get somewhere. And which, how, how did you find that fight? Are you, are you able to survive in that kind of quite tenacious 
fighting yeah. environment? It's could you handle it? It is. I mean, in the beginning, American people are like very South African people tend to be quite modest. Yes. If you're really good at something, you tend not to say it. Yes. No, Where exactly. American people, if you have no idea what you're doing, you still are the loudest person in the room. Yeah. And that really like caught me off guard when I first got there. I was like, wow, there are all these brilliant people around me like flashing there. And then after a while, I was like, wait, most oh, no, of these people are that. full of shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I realized that actually just being a nice person gets you pretty far in that mm. kind of arena where, you know, everyone, the standard in New York is that everyone is good. Yes. It's like, if you're not good enough, just leave. Like, you're not going to last very long. It's too expensive. Um, so when everyone is good, the sort of differentiating factor becomes like, are you cool to hang out with? Like, yeah. do I want to sit in a room with you for 12 hours? Yeah. Um, do I want to spend time with you? Are you a kind of person I want to engage with? So, yeah, after a while, I realized the kind of strength of not being like fists up, like American hardcore. Mm. Um, and, you know, every now and then you have to kind of adapt to that way of the film industry where it's you know it can be ugly and the business side can be like exploitative and gross and mm. you've got to like watch your back a bit in that way um but yeah i think it's exciting when you were when you were coming up and you kind of had that cushion um of like okay we're just figuring this out um yeah. where now things are a bit more scary where you know there's like actual stuff on the line where you're not just a student having fun what you, the deliverables and yeah, and doing right and yeah, deliverables, doing right, uh, not going completely bankrupt, um, trying to like expand a business, trying to like network and impress yeah. certain people, and you know the stakes get higher and the pressure gets higher, but you know still try and keep the same like ethos and personality. What do you? What do you? Uh, this is always a great question. Is you know what we expect you to to be doing mm -hmm. is like you in your studio playing, recording, making art. What do you what do you spend most of your time doing? Like uh, what, what, what do you, what do people think you do and what do you actually do? Yeah, I mean it's like one of those memes where it's like yeah. what my mom thinks I does what I do and yeah, no, it's it's very much like that. I think a lot of it is I'd say probably forty percent is like the romantic idea of like me sitting and throwing paint against the walls and yeah. with the movie playing in the background and improvising and coming up with different things on weird instruments. So that's probably forty percent of it. Um I'd say the other 40% is just changing what you've written. So you can't be precious about... Okay, getting the direction that, listen, yeah. this has got to change. Killing your babies. Oh, this is okay. the favorite thing I've ever written. The director's like, I fucking hate it. Okay, okay, okay cool. All right, I guess I'll start again. <laughs> and, you know, you reuse all that music. You, like, find another project where it'll be used. But, um, yeah, that's... I'd say reworking is probably the other 40%. And then the last 20% is just, like, grunt work job. Like, like emailing emailing and like watching a progress bar like go across the screen while you're doing exports okay. um and that's okay. you know so it's there's i'd say as far as a job goes like to keep the ratio of like enjoyment yeah. versus like work okay no and then you still got a bit of it yeah it's, and and it's um, what's the process depends how, on the how, film how do you how do you how do you tend to enjoy what's your ideal process for for scoring yeah it's it differs with each person i work with yeah. so you know, there's some directors I've worked with four or five times and um, we have like a rapport and a way of working and a language. Um, they call me at 2am and sing to me on the phone and I've got to like figure out what the hell they're on about. Um, they're like humming a tune. <laughs> yeah, they're like, I had this great idea. My daughter's going to come around and like sing and you're like, fuck no. And then <laughs> <laughs> um, you got to, you know, cushion that. But no, I think process wise, 
usually I'm brought on either at the script phase. So I, I get sent the script and it's like we start kicking ideas around with the director. That's the best time for me because you can like get in the DNA of the story. Um, okay. And by the time they're shooting and editing, they already have like your palette in mind. Okay. So where, you'll sort of send them these kind of moody... Like suites of music. Suites. Yeah. Okay. So that's usually, you know, I'll send like 10 or 15 pieces of music, like 30 or 40 minutes of music. And just be like, here's a kind of soundboard, mood board for you to work. And is that with. mostly done on like a keyboard? Depends. So I play a lot of things badly. I've kind of yeah. made a career of playing all the yeah. instruments not very well. Um, and plugging weird things into other things to try and make ama- weird sounds. It's amazing these days that you can get like a full orchestra oh, yeah. out of these sound pads on a keyboard. Oh yeah, there's so a lot of that. Can turn this, you can make a full score just on a keyboard. Yeah, and that's, I kind of gravitate away from that sound. I try to do more like small ensemble, un- textural, um, okay. intimate sounds as opposed to like the big sweepy okay, stuff. Okay. A lot of it would be synthesized, especially in the initial phase because... Okay. If you're going to hire musicians to come and record stuff and, and the director is not feeling it, you don't want to spend all that money up front. So you'll like okay. sketch it out with MIDI on the keyboard. Um, and sometimes in the initial phase, you need to bring an instrument list to record stuff or I'm recording all of it. Um, and yeah, send it to them, ask for like honest feedback. Like, what are you feeling? What are you hating? What are you liking? And that's cool. So that they've got something to 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 sort of paint their ideas and their imagination as they get yeah. started which is first prize which is first prize. from the beginning yeah okay. and sometimes you know sometimes you know you get the first cut and they put it in and it's like well it's not really working okay it, it is great when it does work and you know yeah. i've just finished up a netflix thing where like i'd say 90 percent of what i did prior to the, seeing the film is in the film oh, cool. um other times it's not the case and sometimes i'm brought on like right at the end the picture's locked they've edited they've shot they're like doing color and then they're doing music. Oh, really? Um, yeah. yeah. Coming in right at the end. Right at the end and like a crunch. Like you've got four weeks. We need to finish this. And how do you find that one? It's a different different bag because often they've put score in there. So there'll be temp score that they've usually gotten so used to that they kind of love. Okay. So you're battling with the music that's in there. You're trying to like spin it into your own vibe. You're trying to like bring your voice to it. But then also they have an idea already of what it sounds like and they've kind of fallen the it's called temp love. They've like yeah. fallen in love with the temp score. So that is different. What is nice about that is there's kind of a deadline. You're like, yeah. I'm coming in for four weeks. We're going to knock this out and then I can get on with my life. Mm. Where the other ones, it's like these projects can keep going for like six to eight months, okay. kicking stuff around. So yeah, it's different. And yeah, like looking back at my work, I think both have yielded good results. Like there's not a favorite way either works. Okay. Yeah. And, but you've been busy, eh? Uh, most Instagram is deceptive. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> At least it's felt that way. Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely seasonal. It's like a weird thing where uh, a lot of stuff you finish like only comes out a year later. So yeah. it will be in a festival and then after the festival it gets distribution. So like I'll finish working on something in 2020. It'll only go out in like 2022. Mm. Um, and that's when all the press happens and makes you seem like you're all fancy. <laughs> But no, like been pretty consistently busy in the last couple of years. Like COVID was tough and then the strikes were tough yeah. too. Um, that was the strikes, I think, obviously not worldwide were more tough, but for the industry, worse than COVID, I felt. Yeah. Um, well, what did you do? What could you do? Documentaries. Okay. So documentaries kept going. Um, thank God, because it was actually work to do and uh, didn't have to resort to eating cat food, but um, and how do you charge per 
per composition per hour? How it's do you do? usually just like a package package fee. Um, so I have like a sense of like how long this is going to take, mm. what my expenses are, like, and depending on the budget, you know, can do more or less. And also depending on like, you know, sometimes I do projects where I make no money because I'm just like this thing is awesome. Yeah, and I want to make it as good as possible. Okay. So I'm going to spend the whole budget on like hiring a bunch of musicians and make it rad. Okay. Um, and then other times I'm like, this is just a money gig. Like I yeah, sure. need to get paid. I'm going to like spend as little as possible, still make it good, but like okay. just get paid and get out. And, um, and are you seeing a nice progress? Are your, these people you're collaborating with, as you said, they're getting, they're getting bigger and bigger? There's, yeah, there's some progress. It's a slow build. It's like the film composer trajectory and people always tell you this, it's like a really slow grind. Yeah. Um, do, you, do you feel like there's a lot of people around you? Like a lot of competition? Because you yeah. know, you, you go into film school and everyone wants to be a director. Yeah. But I mean, how many people wanted to be composers? The problem is with being in the States, like New York or especially LA, is everyone from the world comes there to do that thing. Sure. So no, that is the biggest com- yeah. you know, concentration. But how big is that concentration? Pretty big. And I think, you know, the the higher... the sort of bigger project stuff that I'm now pitching on, like there's so many more factors at play. It's like, yes, I can have a personal relationship with the director, but then now there's more money at stake. So the producers want to hire this really fancy composer they know who did Spider-Man or whatever. Mm. And like, obviously the money people want to go that way. So there's a lot more politics at play. Um, I'm, a, I'm not like in, the, you know, the Marvel territory, but just like mid-level indie films that I, I, I'm trying to get on. It's, a lot of that is now becoming a thing. Um, and yeah, there's, there's definitely progress. Like there's momentum, like I'm working consistently and um, getting approached by a lot of new people all the time to work with them. And then the reputation, man. Yeah. That prevails. You got to, yeah. It's, I, think my, I think my cousin told me this when I was like first starting out. I was like a drunkard 24-year-old like rocking up hungover to do stuff. And he was like, even if it's the shittiest gig, like, You've got to do a good job because yeah. the editor on that shitty gig could go on to do something awesome and just recommend you. Yeah, I, I, I must say I'm now in my late 30s and my one takeaway, one of my biggest takeaways is relationship and reputation. Yeah, You never know who's going to, you know, a good example is someone I once worked with at the Bioscope for a series of shows now looks after podcasts for Spotify. And so when I now start <laughs> a, a podcast, you know, you now meet that person and you're like, oh, the way I handled myself yeah. two, three, four years ago for one event has left you remembering me and now, you know, you never know who those people no, are going to become. It can be like a PA on a set, like we'll be a director in five years yeah. and like everyone, everyone remembers, I think. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's, it's an exciting industry. It is like, as I said, the strikes meant that it kind of like, everyone was super stoked that COVID ended and, we're getting back on the horse and riders were riding, pitching on stuff, doing things. Then the strikes happened and it just like poof, shot, shot down immediately. So hopefully things are going to build up again. So it, the, the start of it is you alone. You, mm-hmm. can, you can write music in your underpants. Mm-hmm. And then More often po- than not my underpants. Yeah. But, and yeah. Then, then quite often you're bringing in other musicians to then yeah. play, play the parts. Yeah. Once you've figured out like the sort of germ of the score, like what's the... Yeah. What's the kind of like nugget that's mm. the sound of this particular movie? Um, whatever instrument that might be, whatever, like not necessarily an instrument can just be like a set of textures or sounds. Or, yeah. Um, so yeah, I just did a project uh, at the beginning of last year. Um, 
about the invasion in Ukraine. And we took the sounds of, there was like a sound artist in Ukraine who like went to the battlefront and recorded all the sounds literally on the battlefield. It was like in helicopters, like sounds of tanks, gunfire, all that stuff. So I was asked to score this film and I was just like, where do I even begin? Like, yeah. you know, I'm not going to like try write Ukrainian music, but it's also not like a sweepy Hollywood movie. It's just like a very real documentary. So it was just like, ask this sound artist, like send me all of your sounds mm. and just took those as like the germ of the score and just like turned them into palettes and sounds and pads and oh, really? all sorts and, of instruments. And, and use that, use those sounds. Yeah. So it's, that then became like, so that one, we brought some live musicians on like woodwind players for that. But um, that was like the character of the score with these, these like battlefield sounds. So it's different every time. Yeah. If I can uh, perhaps suggest the first film mm-hmm. that you could rent here at uh, the video store is a documentary that is on Disney Plus mm-hmm. called If These Walls Could Sing. Okay. Do you know about it? No, I've never heard about it. What's it is about? a documentary made by Paul McCartney's daughter okay. about Abbey Road Studio. Oh, sick. And obviously the Beatles had a big part in Abbey Road, but the mm-hmm. history of it, um, it was previously called, it had sort of a very generic name linked to the company that owned it the record label that owned it. But there was an interesting time where Abbey Road kind of fell into a bit of disrepair. Mm-hmm. And they, at one point, they were, you'll see there's, there were the people that worked for Abbey Road were playing like badminton in the oh, main damn. studio because yeah. just no one was booking it, no one was doing it. And then it found a second life as a room for live scoring. Yeah, and still is. And still is. Yeah. But it's just great to hear the the story of this watch that. of yeah. this um, studio. If these walls could sing, yeah, watch some of the Peter Jackson stuff with with the Beatles. Yeah, the Get Back yeah. stuff. And it's just, it. Yeah, incredible. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, it's you know, obviously those rooms have crazy history, but yeah. like those rooms also for film scoring have like a signature sound. It's like those rooms sound different. Yeah. So people are like, oh well, I recorded in Budapest, and that sounds like this or I record an Abbey Road and that sounds like this and, and you can genuinely feel that uh they're probably like a handful of like really niche people who think they can but I'm saying can you do you feel like you can feel those things sometimes maybe I pretend I can sometimes yeah, yeah. no yeah. sometimes it's it's your your sort of nostalgia or your brain telling you more than your actual yeah. ears and that's you know that's a big thing with a lot of the scoring stuff you do is like you're doing this like minute details and yeah. you're just like you know the sound of a piano or like what room you're recording in and at the end of the day, you're like servicing a movie. It's like, is the, is this going to make a difference to Tom, Dick and Harry in the audience? Yeah. Um, and there's so many like subtle things that maybe only you and the director will ever know are yeah. there. Yeah. You like to think that subconsciously these things are affecting the audience. Yeah. Um, and I think often they do. But yeah, there's lots of these little finicky things that you like really obsess over yeah. that then get like buried under a fight scene that yeah. you know no yeah, one yeah. ever really hears. So. Yeah. Are you very conscious of score? I mean, that feels like an obvious question, but I mean, yeah, can, can you can you just sit back and enjoy a movie? If it's, yeah, if I think there's kind of two instances. There's like, if a score is like really out of the box, yeah. I'm like glued to it. I'm like, oh my God, what's like All Quiet on the Western Front was one of those. Like, Okay, I haven't seen it, but great, okay. Great score, like huge war movie. Yeah. But like, not a huge war movie score, which just like okay. throws you for a bit of a spin. Um, but then other movies where the movies are just so good and like the meld is so good that I'm not like not even not even thinking. I'm just like basking in. Okay, you get to still enjoy. Yeah, like a Past Lives or like an After Sun, those kind of movies where it's just like 
a perfect little package. Yes. I'm not even like thinking about like, oh, the, that's a great like panning shot or like I love what the score is doing there. I'm just yeah. like eating it up, you know. Lovely. So still like get to objectively the, enjoy things. Those are two very good movies. Past Incredible. Lives was probably one of our top picks of the year. Oh, yeah. Unreal movie. And I, I watched After Sun on the plane and I must say I didn't quite grasp it as well as I hoped I would. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely a slow burn. I think it's also like a, a theater movie. I think it's okay. one of those where you've kind of got to be, you can't look away. Yeah. In a way, it's like as soon as you like get distracted or whatever, it's just like a long, slow like meditation. Mm. Um, yeah. And yeah, it was one of those movies. Um, okay, so we've got something here at the video store. We want to take a little brief um, look through your life. Okay. And uh, we want to go through the movies that you've loved across your life. Oof, all right. we've, got, we've got the four great loves. Okay. The first one is your puppy love film, which is the film that came to you when you were young. Primary school, nursery school that perhaps set you on a bit of a course. Oof. Where did we grow up? We grew up in Parkview, Johannesburg, okay. parents' house. Lived, okay. lived in like a literally five kilometer radius my entire life until I moved to New York. Really? Uh, yeah, never moved to Cape Town, didn't do that whole thing. I didn't either. Was yeah. like Parkview, Parktown Boys, Vitz, New York. <laughs> like that right. was the, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was all pretty, pretty small town. But um, I'd say the movie that like affected me the most as a kid, Land Before Time. Okay. Like I don't think I truly, you know, when you're a kid, you're sad about stupid shit. And I was yeah. just like, oh, well, my cornflakes are soggy. Like I'm really sad. Yeah. And then you watch Land Before Time and there's like the Petrie, where are you scene? Yeah. And then it's like, oh, that's what being sad <laughs> really, <laughs> I, really I don't is. remember the nuance of the story. I just remember it being really oh, my, sad. To this day, like, I will shy away from watching that movie because it's emotionally like tumultuous. I'll avoid it. Okay. Um, so getting a good grip on how movies can affect you yeah. um, came to you quite, quite early on. Yeah. And the drama and the, and the emotion of it. Yeah, I wouldn't say it was a fun, a fun introduction. I mean, Lion King kind of had the same, you know, when Mufasa dies, that has the same yeah, yeah. kind of effect. Um, okay, no, but but it's not a movie I watched a ton. You know, when you were a kid, you had like that videotape you like burned through. But, Lam but it was the one that you said. And yeah. this is what I always find interesting is the film that you say first. Comes up first, yeah, yeah. Okay. I remember there was also another one called All Dogs Go to Heaven. Oh, that's right. Also, it was just like, Hard oh my shit. God, what the fuck are we Don't doing? bring dogs into it. That's yeah. always my problem. Like, yeah, yeah. why you got to bring a dog in? Yeah. <laughs> um, then over in high school, we've got the high school crush, mm. uh, which is perhaps something a little more dangerous, a little more uh, experimental. Look, I'd, you know, I'd like to say I was like... Uh, early film connoisseur and like thinking deeply about stuff when I was an idiot when I was in high school. No, we all were. We I all think were. like Van Wilder or some shit like that was probably okay. the thing I, <laughs> I watched the most. Okay, like, good. A nice little of, fun, fun, stupid, raunchy yeah, comedy. Like in, you know, like the American pie world of like yeah. teenage testosterone idiocy. That was definitely, yeah. yeah. Um, did you watch Train, not Trainwreck? Yeah, Trainwreck, the documentary about the 99 Woodstock. Oh God, yeah. Great doc. And it was interesting how they pinned the, the culture of American Pie to that time. They were like, don't yeah. forget that these movies were being made at this yeah. time. And like everything that was wrong about, not wrong, but everything that was in those movies yeah. and how that sort of bred a particular culture. But also like well. our perception of it from here, if you were talking like Woodstock 99, like Rage Against the Machine, all of that stuff, we were like, fuck yeah, this is like an anti-establishment festival. Yeah. But it was just like a bunch of bros being gross, headbutting yeah. each other, like... Yeah, and that's 
it was kind of a letdown to me watching that. It's like, oh, I had this idealized idea of like I remember, American yeah, music. I remember watching Woodstock at the time, like seeing the, that footage mm-hmm. and going, it's just wild and dirty. Yeah. But like, you don't think about how bad it was. <laughs> yeah. And also just like the gross capitalist American. Yeah. And it was weird that all those bands were as big as they were. Yeah. And that was the, that was the biggest question was why were those bands as big as the boy bands? Yeah. And it's one thing to have them, you know, you will always have a Limp Bizkit. Yeah. You will always have a Rage Against the Machine. You'll always have the kind of punk bands that go against the, the, the perfect boy bands. Yeah. But they were never as big. Yeah. They like capitalized on that. These guys were 300,000 people in in a music festival. And it's, I think there's like. It's interesting. And why why were they so big is the question. Yeah. Why was American Pie as popular as it was? Yeah. It's just a, it's just just a weird time in all, like none of that stuff has aged well. No, (laughs) no. Like a glass of fresh milk. Like the, the, the. The Indian dude in Van Wilder. I oh mean, my god! Like, yeah. Oh god. Oh yeah, I forgot about that when I made that my choice. Yeah. Um, no, it's not. It's not necessarily a choice. It's what was there. But it's yeah. yeah it's interesting that it was that kind of yeah, know. man. That that sort of time as well. I think for both music and movies is like such a seminal phase for us. And now that's like nostalgia. Mm. I was like sitting next to like two twenty-one year olds recently, and the one. 21-year-old to the other 21-year-old, I just found this great old record, Green Day Dookie. Yeah. And I was like, that was my first CD. Like, that yeah. was the first CD I ever, like, saved up 100 rand and I went uh, to Musica and, like, bought that and, like, played it on repeat. Yeah. And I was like, Green Day Dookie can't be, like, an old record. But then I thought about it and I was like, okay, so for these kids at 21, Green Day Dookie is the equivalent of Jimi Hendrix for me in oh, terms wow. of time. Between. Oh, really? Yeah, and then I crawled yes. into a ball and cried. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was in this record store and we were talking about John John Mayer because uh-huh. there was a couple of John Mayer albums and I was like, which? And I said to the guy behind the counter, which, you know, which one did you get in on? And I can't remember which one he said. And I said, yeah, I was there from the beginning, Room for Squares, the first album. And we, when was that came out? And we realized it came out and there was this lovely person who also works behind the counter, this young woman, and we realized like she hadn't been born yet. Oof. And yeah. it's like, oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. I remember a friend of mine had a cutoff date. Like, you can't date anyone born after Nirvana, never mind. Like that's the, that's the cutoff date. For him. Yeah. For him. Yeah. yeah that yeah. was like the, do you remember Nirvana, never mind? Like if not, never yeah. mind, you know? Yeah. Uh, so. Lovely. Yeah. Um, okay. So we went to high school where? Parktown Boys. Parktown Boys. Uh-huh. Watching a little bit of Van Wilder and, and one or two others. Um, then we went to Vitz. And mm-hmm. now the Vitz, perhaps Vitz New York time is our next category, which is the it's getting serious, which is, you know, similar to the relationships that you would be having at that time. Yeah. Um, perhaps you're moving in or perhaps you're spending a bit more time together. Life's, yeah. You're sort of playing more adult. I think um, playing more adult, opening my mind to things. You yeah. Know. What kind of stuff came to you around then? I'd say on the older side of things, like Blade Runner and, and those kind of movies, I was finally like, oh, I can appreciate these. It's like my taste has grown into this kind of stuff. But and at that point, were you were you conscious of the Vangelis soundtrack? I think that was kind of what drew me to it was just like this was the like insemination of like synth okay. score. Okay, um, so we are, when did that start? When did that bug start hitting? In, obviously in Varsity? Yeah, in Varsity, I was like, 
I think I realized quite quickly in varsity that I wasn't going to just be like a jazz guitar player. I think I kind of realized that in the first week. Um, yeah. Where I was like, oh, you got to really love jazz to be a good jazz musician. Yeah, well, I also realized I, I didn't actually want to be a director. Yeah. There's more, there's got to be more to this industry. Yeah. And, and then that's the beautiful thing about varsity is you've got time to like stew on it and like figure it out. So I think for me, it was like, I love playing, I love improvising, I love like practicing. And it was like, how can I make interesting sounds? How do I make interesting stuff? How do I like try to do new things? Um, and I, that was kind of it was I spent so much time like, practicing stuff for school and I would inevitably just start writing. I was like, okay, well, I'm practicing. Oh, that's a cool little thing. Let me turn that into a piece mm. of music. Um, and I was like early days messing around on computers, like figuring out like recording software and pirating synths to like learn how to sure. make stuff. And, you know, I think now with film scoring, you've got to have technological chops. Like you can't yeah. make it in the industry unless you know the tech in a big way. So I was, I gravitated towards that quite early. Um, and I think, especially then, soundtracks were still, you know, quite classic. They were like golden age, like strings and orchestra and yeah. a lot of that. And I think The Blade Runner and another movie that I loved at that phase was Enter the Void. was a big... Wild. Yeah. Wild, wild, wild movie. Wild. Um, um, we've yeah. got that poster. Anyone who comes to visit the Bioscope will see the poster that says, I Entered the Void and all the signatures. <sighs> yeah. We, um, it's a very interesting movie for those who don't know Enter the Void. It's about three and a half hours, three hours, 40 minutes, mm -hmm. French director. The whole movie is through the eyes of the main character. So yeah. literally you sort of see his hands as he splashes yeah. his face. The screen and, blinks. And, yeah. and, and the screen blinks as he blinks. And uh, he's a young American living in Tokyo. He's a drug dealer. And um, quite early on in the movie, he gets shot in the bathroom. Mm -hmm. um, and then his soul leaves his body your basic, soul at that yeah, point your pretty soul. much <laughs> yeah. and then um and he basically floats around tokyo mm -hmm. for the next two and a half hours that's right traveling through drain pipes and in and out of people's bodies and yeah. drug trips and he goes back in his time and his memory of his mother and his sister and, he, like and you will see things that you've never yeah. thought you would see in in life it was a classic like stoner university movie as well where like you watched it four or five times and only the first time you actually remembered watching it. So oh, I definitely had to no, di digest I, I was, it. I was one and done with that movie. <laughs> yeah. um, oh, but the score was, was good for you? Yeah. Um, not, too, not too sure. That didn't affect me as much as like a Blade Runner did as like a seminal, oh, this is something I want to do yeah. um, score-wise. Um, and yeah, I think that kind of started me down a path of like actually paying attention to scores mm. in a big way. Um, and like thinking about it as as a like prospective career, like something yeah. like, oh, I want to learn how to do this and like get the chops. And then I would, you know, go back. And that's when I went back and started watching a lot more old cinema. Yeah. Um, you know, just digging into like the early like Hitchcock stuff, anything that was like score heavy. Yeah. Um, just trying to learn about like that world. Yeah. Um, definitely started in varsity. Um, but prior to that, yeah, I wouldn't have called myself like a film buff prior to that i think university was when it kind of like my interest shifted yeah. that way yeah what do you think of a trent reznor and atticus incredible Ross? everything i mean social network definitely allowed so many composers to have a career like that sound that and like the sort of cigaros alex and yonzi stuff yeah. um meant that so many people who weren't like in that as i said like a golden era scorey with big strings and orchestra you're saying this is this was this was able to 
have other musicians become film scorers because yeah. they weren't these classical orchestra composer John yeah. Williamsy type. And it was like, oh, you can do whatever the hell you want and yeah. make it a soundtrack. Because Tr- Trent Reznor was a very famous established musician mm-hmm. with Nine Inch Nails, but then he's found this second wind as a as a musician yeah. to be this composer and he does a lot of David Fincher films. Yeah. So Social Network, as you said, creates this um, brooding unease throughout yeah. the whole movie and, and it's very largely because of his score. Yeah, and th- that kind of came out, I think, what was that, 2007? Um, so yeah, that was also, was that 2000? No, it would have been later. Mm. Um, yeah, and that was also one of those scores where I was like, oh, I can, because prior to that it was like very intimidating. I was like yeah. a guitar playing guy. I wasn't like yeah. a big orchestra guy. I was like, well, I want to do this, but I don't have the chops to like write for orchestra and all of that um and you know that was a big part of going to new york was to learn how to do that to learn how to write for orchestras to learn how to write for string sections and um now i like incorporate that with all the other stuff but yeah in the beginning i was like oh i can do this and that was very encouraging what are some of the basics to learn because obviously there's music Mm -hmm. there's the learning of music yeah and the help to create music but what is the what is the film scoring learnings i mean there's the technical stuff which is all things you've got to learn and then hopefully just digest and put in your subconscious and what is the technical stuff you know like how to write for an orchestra learning like functional harmony how different chords relate how to get different moods out of different chords and so that yeah so that's the that's the music music school that's the music school music school and you then put that all the back of your main part yeah and i'd say it's one of the parts but if you want a career as a film composer, it's probably not the most important part. Okay, what are the what are the more the, important parts? So once you've kind of got that, and I think anyone who is a good musician, like, and this is shown by so many band musicians who now go into film composing, it's like, okay, well, you obviously have an ear and you've got a vibe and like, yeah. you can do this thing. And um, I think it's, for film especially, it's the relationship to the narrative, the characters, the emotional arc, and learning how to do that in a subtle way um, that's not already displaying what's on screen. If a character's saying something, the music doesn't need to say the same thing the character's saying. Okay. If the action is doing something, you don't need to back that up. You, What's the next layer of the onion? What's the emotional undertone? What is the character thinking while they're saying whatever yeah. they're saying? And how do you convey that mm. in music? And I think that comes with time and experience and working on a lot of films like I look at stuff I did even five years ago and I'm like damn that was pretty on the nose um and you kind of learn how to like massage things in a way that complements the movie because at the end of the day the movie is king like Mm. you're you're servicing the picture um and I think you know a lot of musicians want to be loud and heard and like my score needs to like blast through you know and you want to fill every scene yeah, is that obviously who 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 ultimately gets to decide when these things happen? Yeah, I mean, the, usually the director and the editor. The editor is kind of key in that as well. And they're um, like, we need something here. Yeah. This is when we need it. And then you know, there's there's moments like we'll have what's called a spotting session at the beginning of a project where I sit with the director and we go through the movie scene by scene. It's like, what are you trying to say here? What's the music trying to say? Mm. Um, what are the characters? What's the undertone? Where does the music start and end? very basic stuff um and there are points where like i'll sometimes be like actually i think nothing like mm, it would be is, more powerful it would be more powerful yeah. yeah and i think 
often directors are like so close to the project. They're not sure like, is the scene moving fast enough? Like, is that emotion coming across? And sometimes I'll be like, I think the actors and the story and the writing are doing everything. Like, I don't need to do it. Like, I'm going to ruin it. Because it's mean, amazing how there are some of those movies, often the more serious, arty, challenging films often mm-hmm. don't have a lot. Yeah. And then ironically, the more cookie cutter where we really want you to feel this Christmas for movie. everything. Those are just filled with yeah. plinky plunky, like... In your face all the time. In your face all the time. Tell you what to feel, when to feel it. Yeah, yeah. they're just pushing those buttons where yeah. they're like, feel it, feel it now, feel and it that's, now. I think I gravitate more towards the work where it's like, you know, you can do a full feature film that has five pieces of music in it. Yeah. But those five pieces of music are hella important. Yeah, when they come, you almost not even going to know they're there. Yeah. And, you know, there's some... I think the, the last Kaufman movie had like, one piece of score in it in like a two and a half hour movie uh, but like the never, one that was made for Netflix yeah uh, what's it called with Jesse yeah. and Jesse Buckley yeah, yeah. Um, like very little music but then when there was music you're like oh my god this is no. the best yeah um, we've got one last film which is the film that you would settle down with which huh. is like perhaps your sort of all time favourite <sighs> the film you would marry so to speak have you met that film yet? Is this like a desert island film? Like it's the only film I've got to watch Somewhat, for the rest but of it's my just life. The, it's the one that you can keep coming back to. The okay. One that's the one that's always there for you. Huh. Curious whether, that, you've, that is tough. whether you've encountered it. So many that I haven't encountered. Keep giving it a, a think. Um, yeah, I mean, is it like an accessible movie? Is it a movie that like I can watch in any mood? Like I can watch it if I'm like happy because you don't want something too heavy. Sure, but um, it's just that it's just that one that's just that all time, like a safe zone. Mm. Yeah, I mean, you know, you've you've just recently gotten married. It's like it's that feeling. It's that one that you could just keep have coming by back to. Cure is a movie that I could just keep watching over and over again. Cure, Cure. Um, I don't know Heineke that. and it's who made that? No, wait, sorry, not Cure. Okay, I take that back. Um, that's way too heavy. Um, a movie that I think I could just sit with forever is Ratcatcher. Um, and it's a movie I've only watched recently. Oh, interesting. And it's Lynn, a movie. Lynn Ramsey. Mm, and it's a movie that I'm just like, this is a perfect little package of movie. Um, either that or uh, Phantom Thread, P.T. Anderson. Okay. I, think no, I haven't seen, I haven't seen between, Phantom Thread. Between Ratcatcher and Phantom Thread, I think I have to go Phantom Thread. Okay. Ratcatcher is set... Uh, at a time when there was a famous garbage strike mm-hmm. in Scotland, I think. I, I think it's yeah. Scotland. Mm-hmm. And we watched that film at Varsity, and there was a point where I was like, are they even speaking English? Yeah. Because uh, I've watched thick, it with subtitles on. Yeah. yeah, you have to watch it with subtitles. Yeah. These little kids running around yeah. Scotland speaking with such thick accents. Yeah. It's a very beautiful movie. Lynn Ramsey went on to do lots of other stuff. Yeah. I think Ratcatcher is. And she did... Maybe a bit heavy for my forever movie. I think I'm okay. going to settle with, with Phantom, Phantom Thread. Fred. Yeah. Okay, that's what yeah. old... Um, um, Johnny Greenwood did the score. Okay. The bear is like my favorite... One of my favorite scores, I think, okay. of all time. Okay, he, he, he came out of Radiohead. Yeah. Yeah, and he, you know, did There Will Be Blood, Phantom Thread. He's done like a bunch of P.T. Anderson movies. Um, yeah, Paul, Paul Thomas Anderson. Mm-hmm. And um, Daniel Day-Lewis was nominated. Did he win again? I'm not sure if he won for Phantom Thread. He should have if he didn't. And he was a fashion designer. He was a fashion designer with like this really like masochistic relationship with this woman who's like slowly poisoning him over time. And it's just like, it's the kind of movie that like you just hold your breath the entire time. It's like still and beautiful. And 
And the score helped you do that. Oh my God, the score is unreal. It's like, you know, it's Johnny Greenwood from Radiohead, but he's doing like Debussy, Ravelli kind of like classical music. And it's just incredible. Um, And it's one of those movies where like, that was kind of why I went Cure in the beginning. I was like, what movie can I keep? It's like a good song, you know, listen to like, I know a good Bob Dylan song and a new lyric will jump out at you every time. You're like, damn, I've heard the song 500 times and I've never noticed that lyric. I think Phantom Thread is a movie where I'll be like, every time I watch it, there'll be a little something I'll be like, oh my God, I didn't even realize that before. Okay. Um, Lovely and layered. All right. Yeah, it also makes me seem really smart, that choice. I like that choice. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, but if you genuinely also are coming at it from the score perspective as well, you know, you've got this added um, appreciation for the film. So yeah, that's the one that you chose. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Lovely, man. Yeah. Appreciate what was you. your choice out of interest for your lifelong movie? I'm gonna flip that, flip this back on you. Um, I think it was Amelie. Ooh, that is it. Yeah, I think that's the one that I've I've settled on as my, both my high school crush and my. Damn, it took both spots. Yeah, I mean that's warm and fuzzy. Like you're feeling good for the rest and of I mean, your life. And I mean that score there. is incredible. Yeah, that beautiful like whimsical French. Jan Jan Tiersen, I think yeah. piano yeah. piano stuff. Yeah, that's a good. That's feel good. Hey, yeah, that's but yeah. that's me. I'm glad I didn't go for a rat catch. I would have been depressed for the rest of my life. It's bleak. That movie, it is yeah. a bleak film <laughs> yeah. and it's just filled with garbage. <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> Literally. Like people drowning in rivers and stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah no, I'm happy okay, with my no. choice. Okay. Well, listen, we appreciate you. Oh, dude, thank you so much, I've, man. It's, it's been so been fun. It's been so um, great to see you thrive. Oh, dude, I appreciate you it. Know, I know it's a hustle and I know it's difficult, but um, I think what a lot of people would, you you hear them say that just just by sheer working and staying working that's the success yeah and it looks like things are winning awards and it looks like the films are getting bigger and bigger yeah stuff is happening and you know just got to stick around and but the fact that you've that you've kept this reputation that people keep coming back to you yeah, oh, I've always thought you were a lovely guy. So oh, I'd imagine in a, in a work Let's setting. Let's sit down and watch you... Amelie later and cuddle. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, well done, man. Oh, just, thanks, it's dude. so nice to connect. Congrats on this new space, man. I need to actually come watch a movie in here. Yeah, well, yeah. next time, yeah. You, you Whenever you're in Joburg, it would always be lovely to host we you. We could watch Amelie you. right now. We could watch it, yeah. <laughs> we're cool, man. Right, um, dude, yeah, safe travels. Thanks, dude. And all the best in New York, and we'll keep in touch. Yeah, I'm going to buy a sweater because it's minus 10 degrees when I get back. So, okay, maybe yeah. we got something for you out yeah, there. Yeah, I'll give myself a nice limited dish. Yeah. Marketing, free marketing. <laughs> Cheers, man. <laughs> Thanks, dude. Okay, what a lovely chat. Hmm. Lovely to catch up with old Andrew, Mr. Andrew Orkin. <laughs> um, yeah, what a great guy. I take Andrew. Yeah. And um, met his partner shortly thereafter, and she was amazing. Cool. And um, I hope she doesn't mind me sharing this, but there was this lovely moment where I went over and was showing them the bioscope, and I've got this picture which I greatly love, which mm. is my the picture of me with the Foo Fighters. Oh, yes. Um, and it was revealed she's like a family friend of Dave Kroll's. <laughs> Wild. <laughs> and then I was like... It was so funny. My my immediate instinct, like if I was sixteen, yes, my instinct would have been like, "Oh my god, tell me everything, yes. tell me everything." But me as like in my late thirties, I was like, "Well, someone's got to be a family friend." <laughs> I guess it adds up that it's you. Like her sister, or she's she's related to the woman who married him. Okay, 
so they sort of know each other. Interesting. But it was lovely. She's she validated the fact that he's a very nice guy. <laughs> cool. <laughs> Which of course we all know, but yes. that was it was very nice to uh, have met her. Did you know that even though he writes basically all the songs for Foo Fighters, he still splits the royalties for Oh really? Yeah. That doesn't surprise me. He's such a gent. Yeah. <laughs> Shit. Anyways. Um okay. Well, nice to have you guys. Nice to have a, a day here. Yeah. Um, I think perhaps let's kick off with the fact that myself and G-Force last Yo. week went to go watch The Holdovers. Yes. Which we can tell you about, Gad. Do you yeah. know? Please, yes. Uh, I mean, I, I know a bit about it. I've listened to things. Cool. So quick back of the box. It's yeah. one of the Oscar films this year. Yeah. Uh, Paul Giamatti uh, won the Golden Globe. It's nominated for Best Film. Um, the Divine, I don't know how you pronounce your name. Yeah, I was actually looking D- it up D- right now. Divine, it's like it's like divine, but with like yes. I don't think you pronounce it divine. She's up for best actress. I think Alexander Payne is nominated. Well, I think best director. I'm not sure. Best script, definitely. but it's best script. Right. Anyways, um, it's a it's a film set in the 70s, yeah. which is lovely because it's very authentically done in the 70s. Gad, so like the Miramax logo and focus features. Even from the beginning is done like in a yeah. cool seventies oh, like style. style. Yes, okay. and, and like focus features didn't even exist back then, so they had to make the yeah. vintage oh, logo for it. Cool. The focus is very yeah. new, relatively yeah. new. Yeah, so they made this cool vintage logo, and here we are in a sort of winter break um, at a very fancy boys' school. Uh, Paul Giamatti is a lecturer. He teaches um, ancient civilization, yeah. and we're on the cusp of the break where um, he finds out he's got to look after the kids, the holdovers, which are the kids that don't go away back to their families. Yeah. They have to stay at the boarding school for this like two-week period. Um, so not only does he unwillingly have to do this job, um, we now meet the kids who have to do it, and our main character um, is, uh, is there yeah. and has to spend the, the two weeks. And then... I don't want to give too much away, but there's a point where basically it ends up being just the three of them, which is the student, the teacher, and then um, this cook yeah. who has to sort of look after and, and feed the, the kids for this period. So the whole sure film. She also isn't impressed. That she's there. Well, she, funny enough, is going through her own stuff. Her son recently passed away. So she's like this grieving mother. Yeah. Um, so nobody wants to kind of be there. And it's this fun, charming, heartwarming, yeah. unlikely pairing, unlikely friendship. Um, everything kind of slowly unravels and gets revealed and you, you really come to love these three over the course of this break. It's all basically in this one location, in the school. Pretty much just in the school. I mean, they Mostly, take one or two yeah. trips. But yes. It's super well written. So for those who've missed the context, uh, the writer and director is a dude called Alexander Payne who is known for a bunch of films, one of which I really love called Sideways. Yeah, Election um, is my favorite. Yeah, yeah. so, so good. this is a, a person who really understands script, um, so it's very witty, it's, yeah. it's got great banter, um, it's very heartwarming. It's yeah. very dry, it's because yeah. it's, it, it reads as a drama, but it's funny, that's his comedy. Yeah, yeah, so it, it feels like you're going into something serious, but it's filled with very... Very very funny throughout the way. Yes. So so for me, in this kind of Oscar season where we are talking about things like Zone of Interest mm-hmm. um, and amongst others, a film like Holdovers is fun because it hits all the notes. Right. So it's something for everyone. Mm. I think everyone could appreciate it. 
Yeah. I love Paul Giamatti. Oh yeah, he's amazing. And he's really he's good so in this. Good in he's this, got yeah. this kind of like wonky eye. Yes. But but being a, a, a teacher, this kind of high school lecturer, um, he's got great words mm. and great turn of phrase. What yeah. did you think, Graham? Um, it took me a bit to get into it because I had to adjust to... It's also written like a movie from the 70s. Very much so. And it's made in, in such a way. So yes. like the camera, the pacing, the yeah. editing, it's, it's made... It's shot on film. No, it's not shot on film. I want to get to that in a second. Okay. But I just want to say like the writing, I had to like get into this headspace of, okay, this is more like, like a John Hughes style movie almost, especially the way the young characters are written. Okay. I was like, I was going, this isn't the way people talk. And then I was like, okay, wait a minute, reset your brain. This is a 70s movie written like a 70s movie. Okay. You know, and then you kind of get into that like dialect that those films had. And you, uh, down to sort of the set as well. He said, yes. you can't just sort of get a new car from the 70s and it looks all fancy. He's mm. like, the cars in the 70s were a bit fucked up. Yeah. So he's like, so everything about this movie down to like the cars being weathered. Yeah. <laughs> you know, everything feels quite weathered. Mm. <laughs> yes. But one of the few things I didn't really like about it is... So this isn't going to bother most people. This is like very subjective, but I'm looking at this thing going, okay, I know this is a digital projector. I know this film was shot digitally on digital cameras, but they've got an added like this film grain yeah. and there's lots of scratches and there's like little like errors and that sort of thing. And every time, every now and then when I noticed it, okay, it kind of took me out of it for a second. Cause I'm going, I know that's artificial. Uh, like I don't think it's necessary, but again, okay. most people aren't going to give a shit about that. Okay. But I was no, just like, perhaps a bit particular, but yeah. But no, I think at this point, like if, if it pulls a heartstring yeah. and when it needs to, you feel like I got a little pang of emotion. Yeah. It, it was great. Yeah, it's very good. It's, it's an interesting thing that you raise, just mm. like how when, when you look at movies from the 70s and the 80s, how they each had this like way of communicating. Yeah. Like now it feels people have gone for very naturalistic approaches. Yeah. But like what was what do you think the justification was back then? Because obviously in the fifties and the forties they all spoke in this very stagey voice. Yeah, I'm sure it was influenced by that at least. And I think something like The Graduate was the first kind of realism mm. in kind of moving into that. But it's still you go and watch it and it's just like people don't talk like that. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. I, I think it's just an evolution as as editors and as audience become smarter. Because eventually you, you realize how you want things paced. Yeah. You get a sense of it. Unnatural dialogue isn't like inherently bad either. Like I don't think it's automatically a problem if things don't sound the way people actually talk. Because like we use the phrase every frame of painting. Like yeah. every frame of your film should be, you should be able to put that up on a wall. So there's like an artificialness to that. Yeah. If it's really well done, it works. It's exactly the same thing with dialogue. Mm. You know, if like you're, if your if your frame should be paintings, then your dialogue can be poetry. Yeah, totally. but it has to be incredibly well written. Yeah, you know, yeah. this is a well written movie. The, the newsroom, um, and he wrote on West Wing. Uh, um, that, that guy, I, Aaron Sorkin. Aaron Sorkin. Yeah. yeah, his dialogue is people do not talk like yeah, that. Yeah, but it works but it because works it's like it's, it's like, snappy mm, and it's funny and it's witty it's and got yeah. these rhythms. Yes. Yeah. What's the uh, what's that that very heartwarming TV show with the mom and the daughter? Oh, um, Gilmore Girls. Gilmore Girls. Yes. It's like, no one's that witty. Yes, exactly. <laughs> like, no one talks like that. Yeah. But it works. Exactly. Yeah, and it makes you it makes you more witty when you listen to yeah. it. Um, but yeah, I think talking about evolution, I've mm. got something to cross over to. Cool. Which is a lovely, heartwarming film. I'm, I'm trying to come up with the best word for this because it's very similar to my other pick a few weeks ago. Yes. Kodachrome. 
Um, I would like to put this film on a sh- certain shelf here at the video store, which yeah. I'm trying to figure out. It's like solid heartwarmer. Yes. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I've got another solid heartwarmer. Okay. It's a film called Suncoast that's just um, come to Disney+. Plus. Okay. It's got uh, Woody Harrelson in it. It's got a very young actor who you immediately look at and go, this has to be Tandy Newton's daughter. And then you do a quick Google search and you're like, yes, it's oh, Tandy okay. Newton's daughter. <laughs> um, and um, why I wanted to get to it now is we talk about evolution. And it's just so interesting to see a scene that in a movie 10 years ago would have played out very different. Okay. And how it plays out now where we, as we are the audience... We're smarter. We know what's coming. We know how it. Um, we we know what we think we are gonna get, and 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 here with this evolution, it's different, right? Okay. Okay. So what I mean by this, um, and I'll get to the that moment in particular, but let's just do a quick back of the box. Suncoast is about a, a main protagonist is a young girl whose brother is in his like last terminal days of cancer, right. roughly her age, so like a young brother. The mom is quite obsessed with the brother and having to look after the brother that she's really not giving this girl Mm -hmm. much time. And she's going through her own issues. She's a young teenage girl. And it looks like she's just started at a a fancy school. And when they get to this facility, which is called Suncoast, you get the idea that at the same time, quite a famous person is at the facility at the same time. You don't really know much. And you realize it's not that important. Mm. But this this famous celebrity is wanting to be um, euthanized, right? Right. Um, and there's a big debate about the rights of her, whether or not they can pull the plug on this person. Right. Um, so there's all these people that are outside the facility protesting for life, like pro-life people and her fans and whatever. And one of them is a dude uh, played by Woody Harrelson. And the young girl... Uh, who's just there with her brother um, meets Woody Harrelson and they form this kind of unlikely friendship in the last few days of her brother's life. Mm. But it's mostly about this girl just trying to make her way through life. She's made some new friends who are the popular girls. And um, there's this one scene where they are, she goes out partying and you're afraid that the mom's going to find out or they're at the house when the mom is staying at the facility with the brother and you know the mom's going to come home. And you, and and why I'm saying it's just interesting that back in the day that used to be a big point of conflict. Right. You know, that was like a big moment. Oh, my God, my mom's here. How do we hide? Do we, What do we do? Yes. You know, where this plays out, how it would in real life, where it's like the mom catches, what the fuck's going on? <laughs> shout, 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 angry, everybody goes home. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And then they and then they got to get over it. Yes. But it's just it's just interesting when you look back on that more situational comedy, and they made a big meal out of those in the past. You know that was like what the whole of American Pie was underpinned by. Yeah. Just this like oh my god, you know. Where now it's like we quickly move past that. It's a it's something that can happen in the plot. Right. But anyways, it's a it's a lovely a little bit of a coming of age as she finds her voice, she gets more confident, she makes her friends, she uh, grapples with the brother now dying, mm-hmm. this relationship with her mom. Also, it's, it's, a bit, it's a bit heavy, but it's not too heavy. It's cool. got some moments, and I think it's a good, solid watch. Okay, cool. And it's one of those small little, it's a small film. It's mm-hmm. about one person, just this center, just this one relationship. Yeah. 
and and I think those moments are quite nice. And of course, they don't make huge movies. Yes. So that's why it's not in amongst all these other Oscar films, but it's a lovely, solid watch. Cool. Suncoast on Disney Plus. Nice. Cool. All right. Suncoast. What else are you guys watching? Well, I was forced to watch Trolls Band Together. Hey, <laughs> Step Gad. <laughs> so Corbin had obviously and Jess had seen one and two, and I'm like, do I need to watch these two? Like, no, 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 you'll understand. I was like, as soon as the movie started, I'm like, I probably needed to watch the first two, but like nothing made any sense. Okay. <laughs> it's it's cute. Like it's kind of they're like a boy band and then they can't reach magical harmony or something, so the band breaks up. Okay. Right. It's the weirdest thing. They're playing on stage and next thing they're all like tied up like a string comes and catches them all when they're dangling from the thing and uh, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> as a musician I was offended. <laughs> Um, but you are having to watch more and more kid stuff because you've got a... He's turning eight. He's turning eight, right. eight-year-old in your life, which is the um, son of your girlfriend. Yeah. And uh, when do you get to see him? Every couple of weekends. Every couple of weekends you get him. Okay, yeah. and then you've got to watch the, the troll movies. <laughs> yeah, so he's big in PlayStation now. we got a PlayStation and all cool. the games now for him. So he's playing the Lego movie game. Okay. So, yeah. What's that like? It's actually really clever. You go around and you break things down and you build them up. And he's like, oh, I've got to get on that thing, but I've got to be a girl to activate this thing. And he's got to like, turn into a girl. And it's, it's But the literacy of kids, it's, it's astounding yeah. right? how, right. how much they're evolving and learning. Yes. And he's okay. already like, chatting to older girls on chat rooms. Oh, lordy. <laughs> he's been, his internet has been taken away. Okay. Uh, <laughs> okay, he's not ready for that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I personally could not tell you what the hopes and dreams of an eight-year-old. Um, <laughs> I've got nieces and nephews that have gone past eight. Yes, but um, there's a great there's a great line by Chris D'Elia, the stand-up comedian, who's like, "If you can't tell the age of a kid, yes, and like if you can tell the age of a kid and you don't have kids yourself." That's creepy and weird. <laughs> <laughs> you look like about an eight-year-old. It's like, how do you fucking know that? Yeah. Um, okay, but good on you, Gaddy. I got, I got through 80% of it. Okay. And then I got a phone call and just didn't. Okay, like, most didn't importantly, did the eight-year-old like it? I think he did. Okay, Because that's it. who it's made for. Yeah. yeah. You know. No, okay. he, he had a good time. He had a good time. Well, let me tell you about Griselda. Yes. Griselda is um, the... Limited series on Netflix. Um, it's the big one. Everyone, I think, has been talking about it. So we'd love okay. to hear from you guys what you've been thinking about it um, and what you thought of it. Um, Sophia Vergara, mm -hmm. who we know as... Um, <laughs> A desperate housewife. Was she? No. Oh, was she Modern Family? She's Modern, modern Family. family. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, plays a very serious role. And I think this is a role... She, she is Colombian. So I think it is a role she's been um, wanting to do for a very long time, which is this, the real-life story of Griselda Blanco, who is the, one of the most famous females to have ever existed in the drug cartel world. Okay. And um, over the course of six episodes, I think it's six episodes, you see her kind of her story, which is a very interesting one. She came as the sort of partner, I think ex-prostitute, um, who built up 
this incredible empire for a period of time in what I believe to be the 80s, 70s, okay. 80s in Miami. When you say limited series, it wraps. Oh, yeah. Six yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, no, cool. no, 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 no. These people don't have long lives. So. <laughs> yeah, and of course, it just tells you the. It's like it's a very predictable story in the sense that you know it's all going to fuck out. Right. Because these things do, right? Yeah. yeah. There's, there's just too there's many no, enemies. There's no way you can. But um, but yeah, it's, uh, I think it's a great. Uh, we it hooked us. Cool. I think that's always the interesting marker. Yeah, like, did definitely. you did you sort of go? Well, I'm keen to watch the next episode. Yeah. It's it's very violent. Um, it gets pretty hardcore at times. Um, but it's a it's a hardcore violent world, mm. and so it's quite cool to see what was a somewhat authentic go. One or two things got changed for dramatic. TV effect right. to some degree and you can always watch those videos especially on YouTube afterwards what what was true and what wasn't but for the most part it's it's wild cool and it's just, oh, it's just a cool story of, of just you know at the heart of it you've got this woman who you root for for the beginning because nobody expected anything from a woman mm. she was treated so badly be, probably because she was a woman yeah. And was very sidelined. So, so you start from a point of female empowerment, but then it gets to a point where you're like, I don't like you anymore because <laughs> you're just, you're a maniac yes. and you're wild and you're doing too much drugs. So you, so you don't necessarily empathize with her the whole way, but mm -hmm. it, it was done well. Cool. And yeah, so Griselda mm -hmm. is on Netflix and uh, totally worth your time. Cool. There, there was a series recently with the female drug lord. Oh, does, okay. does that ring a bell? Could it not be what I've just fucking told no, you no, about? No, 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 no. This is like, say, 10, <laughs> 10 years ago. Um, well, which, she's not, not a real life, like a made-up one. It wasn't right. Breaking Bad. It was sometime after Breaking Bad. Well, there was the woman, um, it was called, where she was selling weed. No, that was weeds. That was called yeah, weed. But she was specifically a Mexican, okay. a Mexican cartel. Okay. We'll yeah, what well, could have very much been inspired by yeah. Griselda Blanco. Mm, no, it sounds, sounds like it. And what's story. interesting now is her son who um was very small um in the in the in the when the in the period where this series was was made mm. um is now a grown person and okay. is suing Netflix and Sofia Vergara because yeah. apparently uh, a lot of the um intimate details that came out in the story were things that they never got compensated for uh, which i think is quite interesting is that okay. there's there's public domain stuff, right? But somehow, I think the case they're wanting to make is that there was more intimate stuff that got put out in the show that they never received compensation right. for, which is very interesting. Okay, I don't quite know how that mm. works and yeah. what kind of case they might have. Right. But I find it interesting that because um, I heard this the other day that the moment you you do get put into a certain category of person, then then a lot of what is around you mm. now becomes if you're a person of interest right then the, then the legalities change interesting yeah mm. yeah there was an interview with Stephen Bartlett the guy who is the um, quite famous podcaster yes he's talking about the fact that you you sign away certain rights when you are consciously putting yourself like in TV shows right, or yes. on, on TV and stuff but of course now this drug dealer yes. <laughs> you know, didn't exactly give consent yeah. to be a person of interest. But by virtue of perhaps the crazy, you know, deadly cartel they created yeah. kind of makes them And stuff I assume stuff that would have been in like newspapers and whatnot would yeah, all be and then like, unless there's like something that's directly like 
not true that's upsetting them. I don't think they really have a case. Yeah, it's an interesting one because yeah, also I, the, no idea. The, I think it's an American term. I don't know whether South Africa's got the same legal term, but there's the term the discovery, oh, which yes. is all the information that forms part of these trials. And mm. a lot of that discovery becomes public yeah. yes. for people to, to work through. So who knows? I think it's a cash grab right? because here's your one chance you know, it's a little bit like the Nirvana baby all of a sudden uh, getting like yeah. some lawyer going like, hmm, you know that maybe you could sue for this? And yes. it's like, oh, that sounds like a good idea. You put your pee-pee on the cover. Yeah, and it's like, <laughs> you know, maybe there's grounds for something. It's a, perhaps yeah, it's, it's, who knows. But, but my instinct, which I think is interesting, is that when I heard this, I thought, okay, well, there's only a limited amount of time when anyone would care. Yes. Because... We are all talking about Griselda now. And yeah. if you drive through the streets of Joburg, there's huge billboards about it. But in about two weeks' time, <laughs> yeah. it's like there's going to be something else. Exactly. Like Netflix is going to bring out another Griselda. Yeah. And, um, and so then you're going to lose your, your window, yeah. which is interesting. Do you, do you know about Gina Carano suing Disney? Yes. No, what's that? So she was in The Mandalorian. It was a Star Wars show and she was yeah. going to get her own show. And then she was like very anti-vax and made these comparisons. Uh, from, I remember her. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then Disney, they didn't even really fire. They just didn't no. renew her contract. Yes. That's and right. so now Elon said that anyone who got fired due to posting something on X, he'll help them. So he's funding her lawyers to sue <laughs> cool. Disney but not only does she want to be like compensated she wants to go back on the show yes <laughs> which I think is the funniest thing yeah they're going to ride it back in they wow. aren't though because they're never going to win yeah this is just but it's e a little bit like a policeman finding something to arrest you for it's like if they don't want you they'll they'll figure out a way yeah they'll, they'll also just be like we just don't want you on the show yeah. anymore we don't want this yeah it feels Elon Musk is funding this because he has like a grudge with Disney now because they pulled advertising off of Twitter. Yeah, he told them they can go yeah. off themselves. Jesus. It all feels just very Bye -bye. like, yeah. He's a villain. He's a, he's a movie oh, villain. He's slowly oh. turning into one. Yes. That John Oliver late night thing about yeah. him. <laughs> like, let's, just, like, let's just not make him a villain, please, yeah. because <laughs> of how powerful the satellites are and all that. Um, but turning, uh, turning the things that sort of were going to happen but not happened and got pulled. and um, I was very excited with uh, the film coming out called Mickey 17. Mm. Do you know about this, Gad? I, I don't. Okay, so Mickey 17 is this film that's got Robert Pattinson in it, and it's directed by Bong Joon-ho. Yeah. Oh, okay. This is I, the I first film he's done since Parasite. And yes. it's English. It's an English film, yes, and it's okay. based on the book Mickey 7, okay? And we'll get into the back of the box, but it was destined to come out in March, and now I'm privy to these release schedules with mm -hmm. the bioscope so I can see what's coming up and which distributors are doing it. It's now like off yeah, the I'm sure because release of, schedule. Because of strikes, I assume. And yeah, and so I was hoping that, you know, the film's not going to be canned entirely, yeah. but it looks like it's just going to be postponed because of the writer's strike. There was some stuff that they still needed to do. Yeah. But it's a very cool premise. So the premise is um, we're in the far future where they can remake humans and we can put your memories into a human. So we can have this kind of job, which is effectively like this expendable person who can test something, go down the road or 
experiment with something and they die. The point is that they will die. Mm. And um, we can learn from them. And then you get reborn as a new person. Yes. So um, in the book, um, and I've just I've managed to buy a copy, which is quite cool. There weren't cool. many floating around and I got one and I've started read, reading it. Um, the book's called Mickey Seven because at this point this, he's now the seventh version of himself. Which um, which I think is interesting. So obviously in the movie we're probably up to yeah. seventeen, but it's cool that this person is like kind of keeps dying. Yes, so it's an interesting premise. Cool. Yeah, that'll be great. His his older movies are amazing. Yeah, yeah. So he certainly knows what he's doing. Definitely. Bong Joon Ho. He was the, the when when he won Parasite, mm-hmm. that was the first foreign language film to have ever won Best Film yeah. at the Oscars. So it's like it's landmark. Yes. He also said one of the greatest quotes, which I think will go down in history, which yeah. is, if you could just get over, what is it? If you could just get over the the, the little bit of text uh. <laughs> at the bottom of your screen, a whole world yeah. is a, opens up to you or something. If you mm. can just get past yes. the little bit of subtitle, a cool. whole world is opening up to you. Yeah. Something something like that. Mm. Yeah, oh, totally. Cool. Is there anything else that you guys are excited about? We got some trailers. Hey? Yeah, well, yesterday was the big game. Oh, the the Super Bowl. Yeah, which apparently we're not monetized, so it doesn't matter. But if you are monetized and you say Super Bowl, whoever owns the Super Bowl trademark will crush your testicles. Oh, they what? like demonetize you just for saying Super Bowl because they own on the a, trademark on a, on a YouTube video or yeah. something. Yeah. Okay. It's wild. They're so protective over the term Super Bowl. Okay. I don't know why. But as as is tradition... If you tried to monetize a video... Yeah, if you if you have like a channel where your... Most channels, if, you, if you're monetized, your video is automatically monetized. Yeah. And if you mention the Super Bowl, they will say, you're using the Super Bowl to make money. We own it, blah, blah, blah. Okay. They're like Nintendo, but maybe worse. Um, <laughs> so as is tradition, they released a bunch of trailers during the ads, during the Super Bowl. Um and it's always stuff that's coming out this year that's yeah. been like super hopped and everything because it costs yeah. a fortune to advertise during the Super Bowl. Um, but we got our first trailers. There were a few stuff like we've already had a trailer for Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes and that sort of thing. We got okay. a new trailer for that. But we got the first trailer for Wicked. Okay. Which is the adaptation of the adaptation of the adaptation. <laughs> so it's, yeah. It's most famous as a stage musical. Yeah, it's a stage musical, which is a prequel to The Wizard of Oz. Yes. Which is about the witches. It's about the evil witch of the west and the good witch of the east or whatever they're called yeah and it's like their backstory and it's a famous musical yeah it's, it's one of those where it's like it'll always be running yeah it's been running Broadway. for a very long time okay so now this is the stage version yeah well this is the movie version of the stage yeah the movie version um and curiously as it's sort of become like a thing they're not advertising it as a musical yes this has become like a thing interesting mean girls yeah. wonka yeah they have found that testing a film that reveals it to be a musical yeah. doesn't give it as much of a rating as a movie that it's isn't. It's going to come back because that... Uh, but you don't want to get not caught. Like that. Yeah. I personally, and I'm not afraid to admit this, I love a good musical. Yeah, musicals are great. So there's nothing wrong with with telling people it's a musical. Mm. <laughs> I feel like you almost stand to get more negative feedback if you don't yeah. advertise it as a musical but another thing they're not doing oh, sorry go uh, with wonka yeah, yeah i did not know that was a musical yes. yeah the I trailer was not happy the trailer shows actually the trailer gives you some indication yes. but it doesn't tell you it's a musical yeah. you just see there's dance numbers exactly yeah. but there was such a great moment when we all watched it and cole was like oh, yes he's singing, he's singing. <laughs> um but they're also not advertising it as a part one of two 
which uh, it is. It's been split into two movies and they're not advertising it that way. Okay. Because I think they've realized that's another thing where people go, oh, it's two parts, I'm not going to watch it. That's a, I've seen tons of comments of that with Mission Impossible. Well, he's so like now we redubbed it. Yes. He's taken away part one. Yeah, and the next too one is, going, is not going to be Dead Reckoning part two. It's going to have a different name. It's too late, yeah. Uh, interesting. <laughs> yeah. And, okay. and you know, just like June was never advertised as June part one. Okay. But in the movie itself, it says June part one. Yeah. But they never advertised it that way. Um, we also got a trailer for, in the ever-growing list of legacy sequels, we got Twisters, okay. which is the sequel to Twister. The tornado movie. Yes. Like, but it has none of the same people, none of the same crew. It's just basically they just put the name on it. They made a tornado movie and then put Twisters on it. <laughs> but um, it looks like it might be fun. Like It's got Glenn Powell in it, who's fun. You know, He's a cool actor. You know, in your relationships... Most importantly, with your significant others, when yes. when like a certain comment gets made that you know is going to be like a repeatable line throughout the <laughs> yes. course of your relationship. One afternoon, when scrolling box office, yeah, there was some random movie which was about hurricanes or tornadoes or oh. something. <laughs> and Leslie says, "I love me a good weather movie," and I was like, <laughs> "I'm never going to let that one yeah. down." Okay, so so she she will uh, she'll um, appreciate Twisters. Cool. Okay. Yeah. I, I like a good disaster movie. They can be really fun. They're always bad, but they can be very, very fun. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think the probably the biggest one is Deadpool 3, which is actually called Deadpool and Wolverine. Yes. 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 I saw a trailer for that. Yeah. It's the first it. trailer for that. It doesn't tell us much. I know it involves the TVA, who are the organization from Loki, from the Loki TV show, okay. who are like the time traveling, like time traveling cops basically and they've now okay. recruited deadpool to do something yeah it he looks name like, checks marvel yeah in the trailer. yeah i saw that in the trailer where it looks like he's like i'm now joining it like i'm gonna make it cool yes and it's obviously a reference to the fact that marvel as a franchise is perhaps yes seen better days and needs a little kick up yeah and reinvention. Also, so they, they bought fox so yeah exactly can, so they have the x-men and stuff now come. but yeah. there's a there's a comic book story called deadpool kills the marvel universe which is like a story where Deadpool basically kills all the other characters in the in Marvel. Oh, wild. Yeah, and I think it's going to be slightly inspired by that. Okay. But I think they're using this as a way to like get rid of all the Fox movies, like the old X-Men movies and the Fantastic Four movies. I've well, got the Punisher kills the Marvel universe. Kind of okay. So yeah, I think they almost concept. made it as a parody of yeah. that. I yeah. started, because I was looking for something to watch in a lazy Sunday yesterday, yes. and I started The Marvels. Oh, yes. <laughs> which is now on Disney... Yeah. And I was like, you know what? I'm I'm too old for this shit now. I was like, <laughs> I I'm, think it's okay. I'm tired of it. Yeah. Personally, and this is coming from like someone in their late 30s. Yes. I was like, I was there for the whole of the Marvel Cinematic yeah. Universe because I was like, I feel like I have to be a part of it. Mm. But then when I was watching this now, I was like, I'm a bit tired of this shit. Yeah, I they're doing the same thing. I will give it this. It has one thing that Marvel movies have been lacking for years now. Brevity. Enthusiasm. Okay. It's like clear that the people who are making it are having a good time and they want to be there. Okay. Which we haven't seen in Marvel for ages. They've just been ticking boxes forever. Um, and there's like an enthusiasm to the Marvels, which kind of made it well, cause the more girl, fun and the, more bearable. Miss Marvel mm. has enthusiasm yes. for Captain Marvel. Yeah. Okay, so is that what you mean? Like it, it comes through in that way? Or? Well, it just comes through in like the whole tone of the film is you can tell people are kind of having fun while they're making this movie. Okay. Everyone's been As opposed to taking it. She's, yeah, she's really good. I haven't okay. watched the TV show yet, but uh, no. but she's she's a lot of fun. Yeah, isn't it also only like ninety something minutes? Yeah, it's, it's very, very short. short. I think it's the shortest MCU movie. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Um, lacquer guys. Yeah. 
Good stuff. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> what a nice catch-up. <laughs> um, yeah, we'll see you guys again next week. Yep. Sure. We've got some really cool episodes on the way. Nice. Okay. And I'm really excited about that. We got off to such a good start this year, and we banked a couple of really cool ones. So, yeah, all is, all is good here at the video store. Thank you for listening nice. thus far. Um, our home base is the video store.co.za and we'd love you to chime in on Instagram and Facebook please post reviews mm-hmm. I'd love to hear what you're watching what you yeah. think about stuff and, um, and we can have little chats over there and uh, we hope to see you again next week alright cheers cheers bye bye